Thank you for listening to the World Religions Podcast. This is recorded at Beaver Creek Church of the Nazarene in a classroom setting, so from time to time you will note that there are questions asked by the class that you may not be able to hear. Unfortunately, that is a restriction due to the nature of the podcast recording environment, and I will do my best to reproduce those questions for you so that you can hear them and engage in them, but again, from time to time, you may just not be able to hear the questions that are asked. If you would like to access the slides for this class, you may find them at slideshare.net slash jrforesteros. That's slideshare.net slash jrforesteros. All of the other episodes are also available at my blog, jrforesteros.com, and I would love to hear from you on Twitter or Facebook if you have any questions or engagement about any of these episodes. Thank you for listening, and without any further ado, here is the World Religions Podcast. Okay, we are doing paganism tonight. So I assume that this is one that most of you probably have limited experience with. I know a couple of you here have some family members who identify themselves as pagan. But overall, I suspect that many of you probably uh, haven't had a lot of experience with paganism. Is that safe to say? Yes. Okay, most of you? Okay. Uh, well, tonight, as one more time, actually, we're going to probably talk about it next week, too, but we're going to review our Mars Hill methodology, how we're going to approach paganism. So we're first going to do a basic introduction to a pagan worldview, Then we're going to talk about some areas of agreement between paganism and Orthodox Christian theology and practice, and then we're going to talk about some areas of disagreement between paganism and Orthodox Christian theology and practice. So the idea will be that you will leave here feeling more equipped than you do right now, to build a truth-seeking relationship with someone who identifies themselves as a pagan. So, let's talk about paganism. Uh, this is another difficult religion to say much about definitively. If, if you've been here during atheism or agnosticism, you've been hearing some of the struggle that we've had with that. Uh, paganism is another umbrella term for a sort of pantheism, which we'll get into talking about these terms all in a minute. Um, but because, because paganism is such a broad category, we're going to mainly focus on talking about uh, Wicca, which is one of the sort of um, denominations of paganism, which not really fair to call them denominations, but one of, one of the different groups that gets lumped under, under the umbrella of paganism. Uh, they're, they're probably the most popular form of paganism, and they're one of the better organized uh, though, again, there's not a lot of organization and definition when it comes to paganism. Uh, paganism is a highly individualistic religion. Uh, and, and actually, one of, the, one of the tenets of it is the, is the really heavy uh, emphasis on individual freedom and individual expression. So that makes it hard to say anything about all pagans because you say, well, yeah, not unless you don't want to. You know, that, that's, that's sort of everything that goes here. So, so keep that in mind. Uh, just like what we talked about agnosticism last week uh, and, and to a lesser extent atheism, when you're talking about paganism, you always need to break down to an individual person. And particularly when you are uh, engaging with an individual who identifies themselves as some sort of pagan, uh, you need to be very uh, conscious of the fact that they value their individual ideas and their individual beliefs. And it would be uh, relatively offensive to assume that they're just like every other kind of pagan or any other pagans that you know. So uh, that also, though, makes it pretty easy to 
begin a conversation with a pagan because they like to talk about their sort of own form of their religion and how they practice it and what gods they adhere to and things like that. So uh, it's actually sort of a nice thing because it lets you open some easy doorways to some conversations. So here we go. Many of the earliest human religions were polytheistic. Uh, and if you've ever had any kind of mythology course, right, you've talked about Greek, the Greek pantheon of gods, the Roman pantheon of gods, the Egyptian gods, the Norse gods. Like you should go all of these different places in human history and people understood there to be a bunch of different gods. You know, there was the, the chief god and the, the god of the house and the god of rain and the god of war and the god of the moon. You know, there are just all these different gods and they, they were all in this big pantheon. Uh, we often misunderstand really what this kind of, it's called polytheism, it's a belief in multiple gods. Uh, ancient peoples understood that these different gods were basically manifestations or incarnations of natural powers. And so humans could make appeals to those gods through their worship, through sacrifices and offerings on altars and things like that. And particularly in the ancient world, the polytheistic religions really always centered around fertility, whether that was health for yourself or your children, or your crops. It was always, because again, uh, infant mortality rate was really high, mortality rate was really high, and if you had one bad crop, it would devastate your entire little you know, village or community or whatever. And so uh, in the ancient world, those were the most pressing concerns for people, and so that, that was the shape that their religions took. Uh, that's why most of the chief gods of the different pantheons are thunder gods or rain gods, because they were the most necessary. You know, that's why their consort, their goddess or whatever, was usually the goddess of motherhood, because that was the other really important thing. And so you can see that's why, that's why all of these different religions, even though they, the gods have different names, and even though a lot of these civilizations never came into contact with each other, their, their pantheons look pretty similar. Okay, because, because again, these were expressions of some basic uh, human needs and some basic human concerns. Now... Uh, the term pagan originated in Rome. It's a, it's a Latin term, and it basically means hillbilly. Okay? The pagans were the people who lived out in the sticks, and they weren't as educated, and they weren't as refined, and they weren't as civilized. They were, they were those pagans. Now, the reason that pagan today means people who worship a bunch of gods is because as Rome became Christianized, the only people left who worshipped the old pantheon of gods were those people that lived out in the sticks, out away from the cities where the Christian rule held sway. And so those hillbillies out in the sticks ended up becoming those people who still worship the old gods, those people who still worship the multiple gods of the Roman pantheons. And so pagan ended up shifting in its meaning from kind of backwoods hillbillies to people who worship multiple gods. So you had the Christians who worshiped one god, and then you had the pagans who worshiped multiple gods. Any question about that? Good? Okay. So... There have always been people who practice some kind of a paganism. Again, essentially people who worship multiple gods or people who choose not to worship the dominant, particularly in Europe, people who chose not to worship Christianity and instead to worship whatever local pantheon of gods that they had before the Christians came in and took over. Um, but really, uh, paganism really gained traction as a reaction to modernism. And again, we've been, we talked about modernism uh, for the last couple of weeks. And so you know that essentially 
uh, modernism was this movement where we, you know, we had the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and all of this stuff, and it was a movement where God became increasingly distant, right, and hu- the human person became a lot more important. And so, in in all of these different kinds of beliefs about God, like atheism and, and all the different kinds of agnosticism that we've talked about. Uh, all these brands of paganism or these kinds of paganism are another group of beliefs that developed out of modernity. And in a lot of ways, modern paganism is a reaction against the Christianity that sort of was the, the dominant religious force in Europe and in, basically in Western civilization throughout, uh, throughout modernity. And so uh, in the early 20th century and then in the mid-20th century, uh, paganism really became uh, the force that it is today. This is when a guy named the, the picture of this guy here, Gerald Gardner, founded Wicca, which is a, a particular form of paganism. Um, it's basically witchcraft, modern witchcraft. He he released his big book on it in 1952, and and in, in the in the 40s and 50s in Europe, he's he's British. In 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 England, all of these like witchcraft laws were being repealed. They were banning witchcraft and things like that. And so you you actually start to see where paganism and practices like witchcraft and things like that start to get official state sanction as official religions, and they they start getting protected as religions the way. Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and all, all the other religions were protected. And so that was, that was kind of when these movements started to solidify a little bit more, when they started to become, uh, you know, they started getting people writing books about them and they started gaining some traction. Okay? So what are the different kinds of paganism today? Well, again, much like agnosticism, this is kind of a squishy category and a lot of stuff gets lumped in here even though they don't all necessarily agree with each other. So there are a few different kinds. One, uh, just in general, there are people who would just identify themselves as pagans. Okay, I went to grad school with a guy named Thad who worshipped Thor. And he wore a little hammer necklace and he, that was like Thor was his chief god. And he called himself a pagan. Um, that was it. Okay, he was just like kind of a nature worshiper and things like that. And, and that's, so again, there's like a group of people and they would, they would uh, usually have a particular god or goddess that they're most drawn to, like my friend Thad. Uh, but they would all consider themselves pagans, okay? Uh, There's also Wiccans. These uh, Wiccans consider themselves to be witches. They do magic and spell casting and things like that. They're not probably like you're thinking, not like Harry Potter or something like that. Uh, And to some degree, these groups follow the teachings of Gardner. Okay. Um, again, it's he's not considered like a prophet or anything like that, and his books aren't considered scripture exactly. But he's an important figure, and a lot of his writing still holds sway. And so, uh, again, you can't say a lot about Wiccans definitively, but there is some cohesion there, and there are different kinds of even branches of Wicca. Uh, but there's some things we can say about them in general. Then there would be people who identify themselves as pantheists. These would be people who just say, we think that everything is God. So they would be similar to, if you remember what we talked about the very first week we did a religion, we did Hinduism. We talked about how all things are a part of God. Um, that's similar to what a pantheist would believe. Pantheists tend to, to really heavily emphasize uh, nature and caring for nature and, and even in some cases worshiping nature because they think all things are a part of God. Uh, another group that gets lumped in with pagans, though pagans really don't like it, is Satanists. Uh, most pagans do not believe in any sort of absolute evil character like a Satan or a devil person. 
And so when you refer to Wiccans or pagans as Satan worshipers, they get really, really offended because they're, they're not. Uh, and obviously most people don't call other people devil worshipers as a compliment. Uh, and so uh, there is, however, a religion called Satanism. And there are actually even branches of Satanism. So there are some Satanists who are atheists who think that when they talk about Satan or a devil figure, what they're really talking about is a metaphor for being your own person and rejecting any kind of God or something like that, like, like the devil does. Uh, and so they, but they're, they're atheistic. They don't believe that there's actually any sort of supernatural people. And then there are also Satanists who believe that there is a being named Lucifer or Satan, and then they worship him. Uh, so, but again, they are very distinct from other pagans, and they don't particularly like to be called pagans, and pagans really don't like them being lumped in with everyone else. Um, so just <coughs> FYI. All right, uh, we're going to move on and start talking about sacred texts and key beliefs. Are there any questions before we move forward? Yeah, Gardner, Gerald Gardner. Uh, he, he started publishing in 1952, so that was a good time for him. He was in Britain. Okay, so again, pagans don't have a, like a set of scriptures, but there are some texts that they would consider to be key texts or important texts. Uh, Gardner's book, Modern Witchcraft, is a kind of a go-to one. There's also a woman named Margot Adler, and the two, like Gardner and Adler, are great examples of people who consider themselves to be practicing pagans and who are writing about the practice of paganism. So think of them like the Rick Warren of paganism, maybe. How about that? Uh, now, Jeffrey Russell is a scholar, and he writes a lot about the history of paganism, and so uh, pagans really find a lot of his works useful to kind of help them understand their own history and where they come from and things like that. And then uh, Dana Eilers uh, is another person who has chronicled the history of like landmark cases and the protection of religious freedom of pagans. So she's done a lot of work in like here are court cases and here's what pagan rights are and what they're not and that kind of stuff. Um, because there are uh, because when you tell people you're a witch, obviously that, that freaks people out. Uh, there are still a lot of um, misconceptions and prejudices about pagans that they don't particularly care for and so there you will find a lot of pagans who are really concerned and actually really know a lot of their own religious rights and things like that so um, the probably the most important sacred text that a pagan will have however is what is called a book of shadows and again this is more Wiccans but you'll find it in other traditions as well the book of shadows is essentially your own personal Bible that you create and so you fill it with quotes or things that you have found meaningful with spells that you've worked on or different, uh, you know, uh, things about the god or the goddesses that you're particularly uh, attached to or basically anything you want. It's your thing, but it's you, you sort of create your own religious text for yourself. And it's, it's almost, it's sort of like a combination of a scrapbook and a spiritual journal and all of that kind of rolled into one. Because again, pagans value above everything else the individual. And so there could be no better scripture for you than the one that you create for yourself. Out of your own experience, out of your own successes and failures in your religious journey. Make sense? Good. Okay. So what's interesting about paganism is that 
a lot of pagans today are practicing uh, their religion as a direct resistance to what they would see as the dominant Christian culture. Uh, pagan peoples have been persecuted by Christians throughout history. Uh, think about things like uh, the Inquisitions or the, the Salem Witch Trials, right? different things like this. Pagans would look back at those things and say, yeah, those were our people. Those were our religion. And we've, we've been persecuted by the dominant Christian culture basically ever since Christianity came in and you know, kicked out the Druids and, and all, this, all this kind of stuff through the Middle Ages and all of that up, up until today. And so, um, and, and then also, which we'll talk about when we get to pagan holidays in a minute. Christianity has a history of appropriating pagan things for ourselves, where we uh, we would go into a place that was pagan and we would uh, take over, and then we would rename. Like so, for instance, I was in a I was in a building in Rome, and it, it it was at one time a temple to all of the Roman gods, and so they had all of these statues in there of all of these Roman gods. Then when Rome got Christianized, it got turned into a temple that showcased all of the Christian saints. And like the, the one, the one of the ones I thought was just the funniest was there's this, there's this statue of Joseph and the boy Jesus. Well, you net like never in Christian art, you never see statues of Joseph and Jesus as a boy. Like you see Madonna and child all the time, but no, no iconographers, no painters, no one makes Joseph and a boy. It was very clearly Zeus and Apollo, right? But it was a nice statue. And so we were like, ah, do we, can we, do we have any father-son combos? How, Joseph Jesus, let's just do it. Um, very clearly. And so uh, Christians have a long history. Of, and again, when we get to the holidays, we'll talk about some more places that we've done this. But, but again, a pagan person will feel like a sense of um, persecution or attack because they see that, you know, particularly what Christians tend to do is like just come in and lay waste and take what we want and, you know, so... Uh, just you should just know that if you're going to be engaging with a, a pagan person as someone who follows Jesus, there's there's some cultural emotional baggage there that you may not even be aware of because like you've never gone in and stolen someone's statue and slapped your own name on it, but um, some people in your uh, ancestry have. So uh, <clears throat> paganism today does not actually look all that much like ancient pagan groups. Uh, there, there are some superficial similarities, but, but there are a lot more important differences. And so what you actually see that paganism today is, is this weird kind of, well, weird to us because we don't do it, but it's an interesting mashup of modern philosophies and ideas and then pre-modern practices and thoughts. And so uh, as we go through some of these, you'll see hopefully that some of those will make sense. But um, let's keep moving. So, uh, for instance... Uh, one thing that paganism has taken, we, we've been talking about how in the course of modernizing, Western Europe became, uh, came to emphasize humanism. This idea that humans are sufficient, that, that we are all that we need, that the highest good is the individual person. And you'll see that represented in paganism. Pagans believe that humans are basically good, uh, that we have all that we need to be successful and fulfilled on our own, and that the individual is the single greatest good. Uh, however, something that, that pagans have rejected from modernity is the concept of deism. Uh, pagans do not see the god or the gods and goddesses as distant and detached. Uh, they see the world as a very, uh, very supernatural kind of a place that's teeming with... Uh, power and magic and uh, spirit, 
Okay, and so again, you see that out of modernity, they, they there's some things that that they've embraced and moved forward with, and some things that they've rejected. But these are all influences that are shaping the way modern pagans practice things that things that were not shaping ancient pagan peoples. So, what are some key beliefs in paganism? First of all, they believe in a supernatural world. Now, again, this is interesting because you have a couple of different strands of paganism. Some pagans are sort of atheistic, they believe, but they believe in magic. They believe that essentially there are, there is more than just our five senses, but it's all part of the natural world and that magic is essentially just misunderstood science. And they see science as something that's been unfortunately limited by, uh, by biases and that they, when they are practicing magic, they don't see it as supernatural or spiritual. They see it as part of, just part of the natural world and something that anyone should be able to do, uh, but, but magic hasn't, or uh, science has sort of like ignored it. Uh, other pagans, and I would venture to say probably most pagans, are spiritual, however. They believe that the world is supernatural, and they believe uh, ultimately in a sort of pantheism, where, where all things are spiritual, all things have a spiritual component, and really all things are in some way uh, God to some degree or another. Again, it depends on the pagan that you talk to. But uh, what that looks like then, it, it can manifest in a few different ways. Again, you have some pagans who are just pantheist. They say all things are God, everything is God, that's, that's the world. A lot of pagans, however, are dualists, and particularly Wic a lot of Wiccans are dualists. They believe that there is a god and a goddess, and that that is how we ought to interact with, with the gods, that that is how we make sense of the, the natural world. So there's a kind of dual. It's not the same kind of dualism that you find in uh, the Abrahamic religion where there's God and there's also like a devil figure, like a good and evil. Uh, the, it's not like the, the male God is good and the female, the goddess is evil or vice versa or anything. It's just they're, they're different aspects of the divine. But a lot of even people who, who worship the God and the goddess would say, well, yeah, they're really manifestations of the same divinity. You know, it's, it's still a sort of pantheism that just gets expressed in a, in a dualism. Okay. And then again, you have a lot of pagans who are polytheists who would say, yeah, we understand that everything is sort of God and that the world is all this one sort of energy, but um, me relating to Zeus or Thor or uh, Diana or whoever, you know, uh, Osiris or whatever, uh, that's, that helps me connect better and I just relate better to this particular manifestation of, of God or goddess. And so I'm going to direct my worship that way. Make sense? Okay. So, uh, a little bit about the god and the goddess. Because, again, it, particularly if you're talking with a lot of pagans today, you'll, you'll hear a lot, of this, uh, a lot of these kinds of beliefs. Uh, the male god is often represented as sort of like Pan, the, the guy with the goat feet and uh, human torso. Uh, the male god represents the hunt. He represents sexuality. He's usually associated with the sun. And then the, the goddess is usually represented as threefold. And you'll actually see her refer, referred to as the threefold goddess. She's the maiden, the mother, and the crone. 
And so you can see that little picture there. Uh, what, I what I would like you to notice on this picture is, is here you have the, uh, the different phases of the moon attached to each of the different women. So you have the maiden who is young and at the beginning of her life, and then a waxing moon, a moon that's on its way to fullness. Right? And then in the middle, you have the mother, and she has the full moon behind her head because she's in the full and the prime of her life. And then you have the older woman, the crone, and the, the moon is waning. It's on its way out. Uh, life cycle and nature are very important to pagans, and you'll see that three moon, the two half moons, or the two crescents and the full moon is another really common symbol of paganism. Uh, um, a lot of Wiccans will give prominence to the goddess, um, and, and they'll actually sort of denigrate the god and say, no, the, the, you know, the, the goddess is who's the most important. And there's this really uh, a strong sort of feminist bent to a lot of Wicca. But most Wiccans will affirm an egalitarian, egalitarianism of the gods, that there's not one that's better or worse, uh, that, that, that both of them are equally important. Um, but then in practice, you see a lot. And, and Wicca is actually much more popular with women than it is with men. So it, uh, we'll get to some more of that in a little bit. But any questions about the gods? Don't they refer to the earth as mother? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of a manifestation too of of all of this. Good. Okay. Uh, another important belief in paganism, we've already brushed on this, is individual freedom. I found this, uh, I was just doing Google image searches of, of that, and this little graphic came up. But uh, again, it, 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 all, it all stems out of humanist philosophy, this idea that the individual is, is sufficient and essential. And so as, as we move into talking about why pagans practice magic and what their moral code is, it all comes back to this idea that the individual is not only the most important, but the individual is sufficient. You don't need anyone beyond yourself to be whole, to be fulfilled, to be successful, to be fully human. So let's talk about magic. Pagans believe that you can do magic. Pagans practice spell casting. They have cauldrons and wands and things like that. Um, they uh, What you see here in the picture is a there's, again, there's no such thing as a typical pagan altar because you do whatever you want. But this is a good example of a pagan altar. Okay? And essentially, pagans believe that you can manipulate the world with your will. And so you, uh, you send out good energy or bad energy, right? But it's all, they believe that you can manipulate the energy of the world, that spiritual energy, that energy that's all ultimately a manifestation of the same God, with your own will. And so there are different rituals and spells that you can do uh, that will help you, aid you in concentrating and focusing your will and then manipulating the world through your will. And again, there's about an endless number of varieties of ways that this looks, but that's the, that's the basic idea behind wicked or uh, pagan magic. Uh, uh, it is not. Uh, we're actually actually just about to get to that. So the this symbol is called a pentacle. It is different from a pentagram, which is when it's inverted. And the the inverted, the pentagram, is a symbol of that the Satanic Church uses. Uh, also, many metal bands from the 80s used it. Um, 
the pentacle, the five-pointed star inside of a circle, represents uh, the five elements that are foundational to magic practice and basically a way that the pagans look at the world. So it's earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Okay, and so, and again, pagans, like, they believe in atoms and molecules and things like that. They understand these more as metaphors for the different sort of phases of matter and things like that. And so these are some nice runes. I think they're Celtic runes or something like that, probably, and they're the different, the writings of the different elements. So, uh, so you'll find, especially when they practice magic, they'll use different representations of all of these different elements and things like that and, uh, in, the, in their magic casting and things like that. Yes, same kind of thing. Uh, now, when you talk about what happens after you die, uh, pagans do believe in reincarnation as a rule. They believe that after you die, based on what you've done in this life, you will something will happen in, in your next life, uh, again, good or bad. And they also believe, as a rule, that between the time that you die and you're reborn, you are in another realm that is accessible from our world through mediums, through seances, through Ouija boards, things like that. And so you will find lots of pagans who practice these kinds of things. They'll, uh, you know, psychics or mediums or seances, all, all of that kind of stuff is, is a part of a lot of pagan practices. Probably more Wicca than some of the others, but uh, again, they, that's, that, that won't be a foreign concept to a lot of pagans that you encounter. Any questions about that? All right. Yeah, Creighton. I have a question. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you witness to them to get them to be converted over to Christianity? We'll get there. It's coming later. Uh, pagan morality. Okay. Again, in such an individual system, what is the difference between right and wrong? What is that based on? Uh, Wiccans will say that there is no absolute morality, that it's all kind of comes down to the individual, but there are a couple of principles that most pagans will live by. Uh, this one is called the Rada, and it's, it's from a poem. It says, if, uh, any harm none, do what you will. So basically, again, as long as you're not hurting anyone, do whatever you want. Uh, Wiccans also typically practice the rule of three, which means whatever you send out will come back on you threefold. So uh, good or bad. That's, it's a sort of like karma on steroids. Okay? So... So they're basically they say, be careful when you're when you're practicing magic, or even when you're just doing things in life. Whatever you whatever you send out is going to come back threefold. So just be careful, and be attentive to that. So don't try not to hurt people. And what matters the most for a Wiccan person is what's right for that person. Okay, we're going to talk about the pagan holidays now. I've made a big list of them uh, on I think page three of your handout. So uh, something that's really important for pagans is, uh, is the cycles of nature, okay? Uh, not only the phases of the moon is a, uh, in a month, but also the, uh, the cycles of the year. So it's actually, it's interesting that a lot of the pagan holidays are, have parallels in the Jewish holidays because a lot of the Jewish holidays are based on uh, harvest stuff. And so you get a lot of that in paganism as well. Uh, the first one we will talk about is Samhain. Samhain happens on October 31st. You might recognize that date also. Uh, Samhain is a fall festival, and it commemorates the dead. 
Wiccans believe that the during Samhain, the veil between our world and the next world is the thinnest that it's going to be all year long. And so uh, this is why you do a lot of not only ancestor veneration, but a lot of the trying to contact the dead and things like that. And obviously you can see where uh, a lot of our Halloween practices came from, right? The jack-o'-lanterns and the dressing up in costumes and things like that. Uh, this is one of those holidays that the church basically tried to stamp out by replacing it. And so November 1st is, is All Saints Day, when we remember all of the saints in the church who have died. And so the night before All Saints Day is All Hallows' Eve, All Holy Persons' Eve, and you're supposed to be thinking about those who have gone on before you who are holy, not dressing up in costumes. But uh, fun holidays where you get to dress up and get free candy are hard to stamp out, so people still do it. Um, uh, so you will find a lot of pagans who really celebrate Samhain. I mean, they do a lot of they do a lot of stuff like that, and they're also not opposed to doing Halloween things too. But. The next one is Yule. Yule is the winter solstice, so that means it happens on the the shortest day of the shortest night of the year, the last night before the days start getting longer again. And so the sun is the furthest it's going to be from the earth. And so the idea for the holiday is that we're welcoming back the sun. You know, it's, it's been going and going and going and going away, and now it's coming back. So light is a really important part of this. Uh, Yule is what it's called in, in the Norse area of the world. In Rome, it was Saturnalia. And so uh, a lot of the common pieces of the Yule celebration are holly, because there was a, there's a, like a fight between the holly king and the oak king in, mytho- in the Norse mythology, and so they take holly. Uh, mistletoe, wreaths, Yule log, uh, trees that were a part of worshiping Thor. And you can probably guess by this point what Christians tried to do with that. Uh, We tried to replace it with the birth of Jesus, which was probably actually in September or October, uh, based on some of the stuff we have in the scriptures. But uh, we didn't have another holiday to stick there. So we were like, hey, why don't we celebrate Jesus? And, you know, son, son, it's close. Um, Actually, if if you'll forgive me a little bit of a rant for a moment, uh, I think it's hilarious that Christians get all up in arms about Santa Claus versus Jesus because St. Nick is the only legitimately Christian part of our Christmas celebrations. Like everything else we stole from pagans. And so when Christians are like, yeah, Santa Claus, get rid of him. I'm like, no, we need need him. He's ours. He's the only thing that we didn't steal. So uh, I just think that's funny. Um, Anyway, rant over. Uh, Uh, The next one is in bulk. This one is in February. And uh, for the next several, you'll notice a common theme of fertility because uh, we are leaving winter and going into spring, which is new life and things like that. So uh, this one is in February. It's the end of winter, the beginning of spring. Uh, It's anticipating the new life that's getting ready to start coming. Uh, The next one is called Ostara. It's based on, uh, it's named after a goddess named Oster, who was a fertility goddess. This one happens at the spring equinox, so the, uh, or right on the first day of spring, and it always involves fertility rituals and things like that. Some of their favorite fertility rituals involve rabbits and eggs. And so, yes, the church stole this one too. If you've ever wondered why, even though Jesus got crucified at Passover, Easter is almost never at the same time as Passover on the calendar. That's because we separated from Passover and added it to a pagan fertility ritual and said, hey, everyone, New life, Jesus raising from the dead. How about we celebrate that instead? Uh, and then we kept the eggs and rabbits. I, because they're cute, I guess. I don't know. Um, anyway, Beltane is the next one. This one is May Day, May first, and again, this is a, this is a fertility ritual. The Maypole is a big fertility celebration. You have virgins dancing around a giant pole. I won't go any further than that. Um, 
Litha is the summer solstice, so it's the, uh, the middle of the summer. And this one celebrates the power of the sun, crops, fertility, things like that. Lamas is August 1st, and this is the end of the summer. This is the beginning of the harvest time. So again, in, in ancient cultures, this was when you would, you would be just reaping the first fruits of the harvest. And so you would be bringing them in and having this big celebration. Uh, it's sort of like Thanksgiving. It's being grateful to the gods for providing for your family for another year, and that's what the harvest represents is, you know, hey, everything's going to be okay. And then the last one, uh, Maban, is an autumn equinox. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of we're, winter's coming, summer's over. Uh, we're reflecting on life and being grateful for it and remembering those who have died and different things like that. Now, today, pagans practice these in a lot of different ways. Uh, sometimes it's done on your own with like a private altar in your house. There are corporate rituals and things like that. And again, how they are practiced probably is going to vary a lot from community to community. There's some common uh, guidelines and things like that. Um, but but uh, that's the basic themes of the different holidays. Any questions about all of those? Yep, JR. I was just going to, I was thinking back in, in uh, in Indiana, they've got a little village called Connor Prairie, which they reenact uh, people from uh, uh, the College of Richmond come and reenact a Christmas. And one of the things uh, uh, the Christians at that time thought it was really wrong to hang greens yeah. for Christmas. And this makes sense what you're saying now because that was attached to pagan right. rituals. Right. But but in 1834, hanging greens was really frowned. Really bad. Yeah, don't do it. Um, it. It is. It's interesting to me. You know how many how many things. You know, in a 2,000 year old religion like Christianity, you know, it, that that has spread all over the world. It's it it ends up. Uh, it ends up just collecting a lot of things from other cultures and other practices and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm certainly not against Easter bunnies and Christmas trees and all of that. They're fun. But it, uh, it can be helpful to know the origins of those things if you're trying to build a relationship with someone who is a pagan. Because, again, they could look at that as a sort of cultural appropriation or, a, you know, we stole their stuff, you know, whatever. And that, that doesn't – how it has to, has to be. But um, it's – I always find it interesting. So – all right. Now, again, I mentioned before that a lot of paganism that's practiced today, it can be practiced specifically as a reaction to Christianity and to some of, uh, particularly to dominant Christian culture. And so this was, uh, uh, the, this can often be people who feel isolated or marginalized anyway. And so they end up, they, they look at what the culture is that has isolated or marginalized them. And, and because Christianity has been the dominant religion in Western civilization, for about 1,700 years, uh, that ends up being a big part of it. And so a lot of their reaction, not just against the dominant culture, is, is also then a reaction against uh, not, not just Christianity, but sometimes specifically against certain kinds of Christianity uh, or so, certain, um, even certain, some, some certain unfortunate uh, incarnations of Christianity that have, that have been allowed to exist in Western culture. So uh, one of them, for instance, is... Uh, again, you find a lot of pagans who are really, um, uh, they're really feminist in, and I don't mean like, I, I don't have any problem with feminism uh, at all, but uh, they, they look at Christianity as a male-dominated 
uh, oppressive to women kind of religion. And so part of what draws them to paganism is the freedom to do whatever they want and the freedom not to have a man above them telling them that they can or can't do things. Right? And so, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, Mia. In all fairness, isn't that the situation with Catholicism? Yeah, there, there. Yeah, and again, uh, unquestionably, there are certainly a lot of kinds of Christianity that are male-dominated and that don't allow men and women the same sort of equality. Uh, don't allow women the same sort of uh, freedoms that men have. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I, I, and then. Uh, so the next thing is is the critique of institutions. Again, a, a lot of pagan people will look at the fact that Christianity has a bunch of big old buildings and churches and systems and organizations, and they say, you know, the, the problem with those is that systems and organizations tend to be about their own self-interests. Uh, they tend to not look out for the little person. Uh, institutions tend to resist change. They tend to be... Um, they tend to be oppressive in that way. And so, again, paganism is a very anti-institutional faith. Uh, it, it is very hard to say anything definitive about pagans because they, they refuse that kind of, you know, you can't go to find a pagan church building anywhere, right, or a, something like that. So, um, and, and sort of along with that and the same idea, they, they resist uh, hierarchy. There is there are there are levels of some branches of paganism. Particular Wicca has some levels to it, but again, it's really really loose, and you don't have a lot. You really don't have any authority over anyone else unless it's all sort of by common agreement. You know, the the, the main one of the main principles in Wicca, remember, is as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, do whatever you want. And so, uh, especially especially when it comes to things like how you worship or what kind of spells you want to try to cast or things like that, there's there isn't like a playbook or a way that says you have to do it this way. They're not electing a pope today? Correct. They are not <laughs> electing a pope today. So um, another thing that they would critique about Christianity would be the Christian moral structure. They would say um, you should be able to do whatever you want. Individual freedom is the highest good, and Christianity has all these rules. Christianity has all these things you can do and can't do. Which they're right, we do. <laughs> um, the last thing is, and this one, this one's interesting. We're gonna we're gonna come back to it in a little bit. But uh, a lot of pagan people who have been spell casting and doing all these different kinds of things uh, have had very spiritual experiences, or you know they've 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 talked with someone uh, from beyond the grave or something like that. And a lot of Christianities, particularly in modern Western civilization, say that those things don't happen. You, know, you can't psychics are psychics are a big sham. You know you can't seances are just people trying to take your money. You can't you know there's no such thing as magic. Harry Potter is just kids lit. And so so a lot of Wiccans or pagans who have had these experiences say, well, I mean, I experienced it like it was real. Like, if any of you have ever experienced, like, had a sort of one of those mystical experiences of God, it would be the same sort of thing as someone coming up and being like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just all in your brain. Like, you're just, you're just a silly, superstitious person. You know, you probably wouldn't be like, I really like hanging out with you. Let's keep talking about this. You know? And so, so again, a lot of pagans feel ostracized from the church because of the church's attitude towards these kinds of spiritual experiences. 
Okay. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, just a comment. I've read and, and heard that you know seances and Ouija boards and all this stuff could be the tools of the devil. I mean, the, the, yeah. the devil's spirits could use those things yeah. to actually try to convince somebody, you know, to right. into something, but it's really sort of the evil side. Right. Yeah. So there's a there's a really interesting. Well, we're we're going to get to that. We're going to get to it in a little bit. But it's unfortunate that the church has just sort of followed the scientific revolution and saying there's really not much supernatural in the world. Everything can be explained by science. You know, a lot a lot of the Western church has taken that tack. Uh, if you don't believe that, go to South America or Africa and witness exorcisms. And then go, man, they're casting out demons all over the place down here. How come we don't do that in North America or Europe? Did we just like, we just have good border patrols? That's it? Like they just don't allow to come here? You know, or, or, or could it be that maybe we have a set of assumptions that are just wrong? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's talk about how you build bridges to pagans. Uh, first of all, we, and as you might guess, I'm already going to argue, we both believe in a supernatural world. We do not believe that there is only what we see. We believe that there is something else beyond that. We have different ideas about what that is, but we both agree about that. Uh, I would say that both of us value nature, or at least we should value nature. Again, there are Christians who don't place any sort of value on the environment, on the world, on creation. But I would say shame on those people. Because if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, it's pretty clear that this was all a gift from God that we were to steward. And so uh, a, a wanton, wasteless, uh, wasteful use of a gift is not good stewardship. And it's too bad that Christians are not leading the charge to care for the planet. Um, again, whether you believe in global warming or not, I don't care. Uh, what I care about is, like, that doesn't give you the right to just, like, abuse and use without any sort of checks and balances. Uh, because, again, the, this is, uh, if, if, you, if you follow the scriptures, that this is a place that God gave us and that God commanded us to care for. And so this can actually be a place where pagans and Christians can come together and say, you know what? We both really value nature. We both really value the world. We think that there's something really spiritual about the world. Um, and, and for me, I mean, I'm very much a, a, an academic kind of a person. I love reading and studying and teaching, obviously. But some of the most spiritual moments in my life have been when I'm out in creation. You know, I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any service, even if I did. And I'm swimming in the ocean. I'm hiking up a mountain. I'm just out of John Bryant Park, just kind of like walking around through the woods and looking at just the, the beauty that's out there. Right? And then there are these just very spiritual moments when I'm like, man, yeah, like there is a God. Like how could there not be? Like it's all, it's all over the place. You know? And again, a, a pagan will in many ways resonate with that kind of feeling. They'll say, yeah, I, I get that too. Like when I'm, out, when, I'm, when I'm in nature, I just sense something. And then after we've built that bridge, we get to talk about what that something is, but that, that is there. Uh, we and pagans both value devotion to God. Uh, pagans love to talk about their particular relationship with their deity or deities. Uh, my friend Thad loved to talk about Thor, right? And so 
Uh, if you are open to hearing their stories about their relationships with God, uh, you will earn the right to share your stories about your relationship with God. That's a, that's a great place to, to have a conversation. And then last, we both value spiritual practices. Again, they're probably going to look different, but you can talk about your scripture reading, your prayer, your meditation, your fasting, your, you know, whatever, whatever spiritual practices you use to connect with God, you can talk about those, and a pagan person will share with you theirs. They might be really different from what you're used to, right? But, but you can talk about them. Those are good places to begin conversations. All right, any questions about any of those before we go into differences? All right. Where Christianity and paganism disagree. First of all, we disagree about where God is. And what I mean by that is that uh, most pagans are in some sense pantheists. They think that everything is God in some way. And Christians believe that God is the sustainer. And so, for instance, you find several places in the New Testament where it says that God is in all things and sustains all things. And what they mean by that is not that um, everything is a piece of God. They mean that the reason that the world keeps spinning and the reason the law of gravity keeps working and the reason the seasons keep changing, hopefully quickly, uh, is because God is actively at work in all of those things, sustaining them and moving in them. But God is separate from creation. There is a creator and then there is creation. And in paganism, that line is much, much, much blurrier. So there's a difference. Uh, we also disagree about the gender of God. And again, this is, a, this is an important point for a lot of pagans. This is a place where a lot of them have come out of places of pain and in paganism found some safety and probably some healing. And so this is a place where you need to tread carefully. But it is an important difference. Uh, when we approach gender, we say that we... we we could kind of say God is both genders because if you look in Genesis 1, it takes male and female to be the image of God. When it's describing who God, uh, when God creates us in his image, it says male and female. Um, but it's more accurate to say that God is beyond gender, that God does not have gender. God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have uh, sexual organs. God doesn't have a gender. And in fact, throughout the scriptures, uh, the scriptures use both male and female metaphors to talk about who God is. Uh, so God is described as a father mostly, but God also describes himself as a mother at some points. Uh, in the early church, the, the common practice of the church fathers was to use he when they referred to God the father and to obviously Jesus was biologically male. Uh, but when they would refer to the Holy Spirit, they would often use she as the pronoun uh, to sort of represent that genderlessness of God. That God was, again, not male or female. No one like that, that, you know father was a dude and Jesus was a dude and the spirit was a female. No, like that was their way of trying to say, hey, we need to remind ourselves constantly that even though we're using these pronouns, they're not really describing God. God is beyond gender. God is above gender. And uh, because of that, God embodies both genders. And there's not, it's not like uh, if you're a man, you're more like God. And sorry, ladies, you're out of luck. Um, so, so a way to say this would, oops, sorry about that. A way to say this would say that, um, the creator does not have gender, but gender is for creatures, for those who are created. Okay, uh, and again, that's 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 a, a different 
that's a different thing from what a lot of pagans practice, particularly when they look at the god and the goddess. Okay? Now, again, we can understand how overly masculine pictures of God in the church have made women feel excluded. And, and, and again, that's why I am grateful to be a part of a Naz- the Nazarene denomination, which ordains both men and women. Right? We have had female general superintendents and male general superintendents. So at the, at the highest levels of our church leadership, it's totally egalitarian. Okay? Again, that doesn't mean that sometimes in individual churches, bad decisions aren't made and things like that. But uh, in, in our books, officially what we strive for is that same kind of uh, gender equality that we see in the scriptures, that we saw Jesus practicing, that we see in the person of who God is. Uh, we also disagree on the nature of people. Again, following uh, humanist philosophy, most pagan, well, pagans believe, I don't think I've ever met a pagan who doesn't believe that humans are not basically good. They think humans are, humans are good enough. You are good enough to make good and bad choices. You are good enough to be sufficient in and of yourself. You don't need anyone else to be fully human. And Christians believe, no, human nature is fallen, and we have trapped ourselves in sin, and we are not capable of being good apart from God. We need Jesus to rescue us from sin. Finally, I want to talk about what we do with spirits. Uh, Now, again, though, a lot of people in the modern church would just say, well, there's no such thing. There's just God and and nothing else, or maybe God and Satan. Um, Throughout the scriptures, there are all of these stories of people uh, contacting psychics, uh, psychics contacting people from, uh, there's a story in, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel, where the prophet Samuel has died. And the Saul, who was king at the time, is really scared about a battle. And so he he is outlawed. Uh, psychics in his kingdom so he fi- he says go find me a black market psychic and they do and he, he disguises himself and goes and visits the psychic and uh, she summons the ghost of Samuel and Samuel appears and he's like dude bad decision you, this is a horrible idea and now you're in a lot of trouble okay at no point does the text be like oh and then JK the psychic was just kidding uh, I was fooling and just wanted Saul's gold like, it's presented as that, no, that happened. Um, there is a magician in Acts who approaches Peter and I think it's John, one of the other disciples, because they're doing all of these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's Simon, okay. And he says, yeah, Simon the magician. And he says, hey, can I buy that magic from you? Can I, can I just, like, I'm a magician. You're obviously a magician. Can, can I, like, name your price, man. And they're like, no, this is different. The Holy Ghost isn't for sale. You can just have them, though. Right? And so, uh, again, over and over and over in the worldview of the scriptures, there, there's, there's never a place where the scriptures say that stuff isn't real. That stuff doesn't happen. That's just silly superstition. Uh, the scriptures actually affirm that there are all kinds of powers in the world, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. Some of them want to help people and some of them want to hurt people. Uh, and and the world is just teeming with, with things that are more than we are. Uh, what the scriptures say, though, is you if you follow Jesus, then only God, only Yahweh, only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who became human in Jesus, that's your only God. 
and you should not rely on any other power other than the Holy Spirit because God is enough for you. And all of these other things are, are at best distractions, at worst really, really dangerous. All you need to be fully human, all you need to be uh, successful in life is God. And so don't, don't mess with that other stuff. So again, that'll be an interesting conversation with a pagan person where you say, you know, look, I, we, I, I believe, like, and I have people all the time that are like, well, what are we supposed to do with psychics? Like, are they real or not? I'm like, probably some of them are real. Probably a lot of them aren't. But again, it says like, God says, you don't be anxious about your future. You, try, you worry about today and I got your future. That's, 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 what, that's what the Bible says about psychics. Uh, and then the same goes with, with mediums and contacting people from the dead and all of these kinds of things, you know? Your hope, your hope for the afterlife comes not from a medium who contacts a departed person, which apparently can happen. It comes from the promise that Jesus was raised from the dead as the first of us who will all share in his resurrection. And so that's our assurance of the future. Yeah, Mike. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was at Mm-hmm. A lot of people believe in guardian angels. Yep. That we could maybe benefit from that. Yeah. Do we? I mean, How do we? Yeah, right? And that's what I said. That's what I said. Like, yeah, it's, and that's, you know, again, some people even want to say, like, well, okay, God's good and all, everything else is bad. But, again, there's there are helpful spirits in the Bible, too. And they work for God and they do things for God and they deliver messages or food or all kinds of stuff. And then there's bad ones, too. And But Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And so again, that's where you know I am. I am far from an expert in spiritual warfare and, and all of this stuff. And there, are, you know, there's people that have all these different charts of the levels of angels and types of demons and all of that. And, and none of that's in the Bible. Like it's, it's all stuff that people have come up with outside of the scriptures. And so for me, that's enough to give me pause. You know, to say, well. Uh, Again, what the scriptures keep calling me back to is you just focus on looking more like Jesus and God will take care of everything else. So if an angel shows up at my door, okay, well, that'll probably freak me out pretty bad and I'll probably fall on the ground and it'll be like, don't be afraid. Also, don't worship me. Um, you know, uh, I have friends who have shared stories with me of all kinds of like, you know, demonic attacks and different kinds of stuff like that. And again, like I'm, I'm like probably like most of you guys, I don't know what to do with 99% of that stuff. I'm like, that sounds real scary. I'm glad it didn't happen to me. Um, but again, what we can be confident in from the scriptures is God promises that God is enough. And God affirms that these, yeah, you know, these things exist, but uh, just be really, you know, tread really carefully with them because uh, there's a lot of danger in a lot of that. There's a lot of things that are just beyond our capability as creatures. And so that's that's hence the mandate to tread carefully. And this is this is the thing where so again, if I'm you know if I'm interacting with a wicked person and they're telling me about spells they've cast and entities that they've talked to and stuff like that, I I don't have to doubt that those things probably happen. But but I need to be careful how I engage in that, and I need to um, I need to be careful with that person and um, and helping them understand uh, maybe at least my perspective on things that are going on for them. 
So any questions about any of these uh, important disagreements? Yeah, Creighton. Uh, I think that, that, you know, we need to be, when we approach somebody like this, we need to be very, very careful because um, Lucifer could, could enter in us if we're not careful. We've got to be very careful. Uh, I would say again, I, I think that you can approach with you can approach any of these relationships with confidence because uh, if you are focused on God, God will be enough for you. You know, I don't think you have to worry about if you're approaching a pagan person, uh, worrying about getting contaminated by evil spirits or something like that. Because if you are a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit doesn't like to share. I mean, is it? I think it's not the situation. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good note. Um, and, and and particularly when you're when you're in. Well, here let's let's go because that actually transitions into what I wanted to move to. Um, when you are talking to a person who would consider themselves a pagan, uh, it's it's really not. And I'm just going to reiterate what Mia just said. It's really not any different from someone who's worshiping uh, any other in any other religion. Uh, again, except for the small percentage of people who are like actively, honestly worshiping like evil, you know. And, and again, there are a few of those people, but most pagans would, you know, stick them at arm's length and say, "Well, no, they're not like they're not like me." Um, so, again, if you're trying to build a friendship with a pagan person, if you're trying to build a truth-seeking relationship, Wicca paganism is not devil worship, and the kinds of rituals and things that they do, they look different and they're different from what you are used to so they're going to feel weird um but it's not they're not they're not actively trying on purpose to worship the devil we could say it that way uh and, and to to a, to a, you know to approach in that spirit pardon the pun uh is going to do probably more harm than good to your friendship potential with that person uh so uh, Mia, Mia's point, I think, is, is cogent. Unless you're just going to say that everyone who is not worshiping God is actively trying to worship the devil, then you should probably extend the same sort of grace to Wiccans, pagans, that you would to anyone of any other faith. Again, unless they actively come up to you and say, like, here's my awesome devil tattoo, and I'm you know, getting ready to sacrifice a goat and, or something. I don't know. Whatever. So, again, something else to understand is that uh, their associations associations with church have probably been painful. Uh, maybe not really painful, but maybe really painful. Uh, they've probably felt ostracized or excluded or marginalized in some way for their beliefs. Uh, in fact, at sometimes even that, that marginalization or ostracization can have come first and be what pushed them towards paganism. And so... Just the fact that you are a Christian can be really, really off-putting, and so you might you might have to deal with some, um, I don't know, anger or resentment or something like that, uh, just by virtue of the fact that you're a Christian, and you should be aware of that and be ready to encounter that. Uh, also, understand that personal liberty is very important to a pagan. Again, when you Suggests that there are ways that are more absolute for morality. That's going to rub against the grain of their personal beliefs. In the same way, probably, uh, the idea of no absolute beliefs rubs against yours. 
right? In the same way that you're like, eh, mm, that just doesn't sit right with me. Well, okay, flip it around. That's how they feel too. So you just need to, again, understand that as, as you begin to delve into those uh, areas, uh, there's going to be some tension. And then finally, uh, their religious experiences are valuable to them. In the same way that your religious experiences are valuable to you. And so even though they're going to look odd, even though they're maybe even uh, scary, um, they're important to them. And, and you should be careful how you interact with and talk about those with them. Uh, again, by the same regard, you wouldn't want someone coming up to you and denigrating the things that you believe and, and how you believe them. Uh, so there is place to talk about those things. There is place to deal with a lot of those issues, but it's, it's once you've earned the right in that friendship. Um, and, and then hopefully that can be a really fruitful conversation where you both learn a lot. All right, any questions about that last bit? All right, any questions overall? Yeah, Mike. Um, how do pagans um, grow their church? I mean, I actually, okay, that's a great question. Yeah, so the question, how do pagans evangelize, for lack of a better word? Uh, actually, a lot, um, it, it's a pretty, uh, again, as much as anything is a hard and fast rule in paganism, it's a pretty hard and fast rule that you don't evangelize, you don't proselytize, you don't try to convert people. Uh, because... Uh, again, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, do whatever you want, right? If uh, they would say to you, hey, if Christianity works for you, great, go do it. Paganism works for me, so I'm going to do this. And that guy is Hindu, and that lady over there is Muslim, and then the guy over there is Buddhist, and like, fine, whatever works is fine. So they actually uh, are pretty strict about not proselytizing. Though, if someone approaches them with questions, they're happy to engage in dialogue and offer some resources and, and things like that. So. so how do most pagans get into that? that I mean, how do they adopt that kind of Yeah, where, where do, well, how do people become pagans? You know, in, again, it probably depends on the person. And that's actually a really good question to ask an, a particular pagan person. But... If there is any sort of larger pattern that I've seen, it tends to be people who have been marginalized by a institution of some kind. Again, often Christianity. And so they go seeking. They go trying to find something else. And because a lot of the other options that are really available and popular in America are not particularly spiritual. Atheism or a kind of agnosticism that says, well, I just I don't really know and I don't. You know, uh, and, and a lot of pagans are deeply spiritual people who have had some of these um, spiritual experiences. Uh, I think paganism is a, a way that makes a lot of sense to them. You know, uh, there is also a, a, pagans tend to stick together. So, I mean, there is, there is a, a pretty tight-knit pagan community and they, they watch out for each other. It's very accepting and welcoming. And so, again, if you're a person who's been hurt and marginalized and you're looking for belonging, it's a very easy kind of community to belong to. And so uh, I think they, a lot of pagans find paganism the way most people find most religions. Yeah, Mia, were you going to? Although, like you said, that it's the, um, specifically with the Wiccans, that it's an individualistic um, <clears throat> kind of uh, spiritual practice for them. They can worship together in covenants. Right. And sometimes a bunch of them will get together and go out in the woods. and. Um, <clears throat> yeah, have ceremonies. Yeah, and Yep, ceremonies. absolutely. In fact, when I was doing my research for this week, you know, I found some different 
kind of introduction to paganism resources online and they had here's you know so a, a Samhain ritual you know if it's if uh, Halloween's coming up and you want to do a Sam well here here's an individual ritual guide and then here's a group ritual guide they're like if you want to do it by yourself here you go if you're going to do it with some friends uh, with some community then here's how you do it and there's a lot of them will offer those kinds of so. And also, I don't know if, if this is how some people come upon it, but when you go to the New Age um, section in any bookstore, yeah. there's, a, there's a huge number of books that are yep. Wiccan. And um, some are some do lean towards Satanism and yep. the occult and stuff, but, but a lot of them are Wicca and um, spell books and all kinds of stuff. And so somebody might... New Age would be a branch of paganism. Yeah. So, and again, depending on which tradition you're coming from, that where you might get like some diff- crystals that would be involved in spell casting or, you know, different kinds of candles or whatever. So, yeah, I would think, especially nowadays with the internet, same thing. And does that really promote the. Uh, most. Wiccans particularly are uh, dismissive of Harry Potter. Uh, in fact, like when again, when I was doing some of my research, I went to the, you know, it's like, how do you start casting magic? And you click on it and it takes you to the FAQ. And it's like, first thing is like, not like Harry Potter. Uh, it's like the big, you know, that's, uh, they would consider, they, uh, again, self-identifying witches and warlocks would, would consider the, the, magical universe that's represented in a series like Harry Potter to be uh, fantasy as much as any of us would. Um, it, their their spellcasting doesn't look anything like that. They don't, even the way that, that magic works in that universe isn't the way that they understand it. You know, and uh, I don't know how many of you have read the Harry Potter books, but like there aren't any deities in Harry Potter. Like there's no you know, it's 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 a, it's a very very different kind of thing, and so yeah, a good a good way to start a fight with a, a Wiccan is to bring up something like the Wicked Witch of the West or the Harry Potter books or, or something like that. So yeah, Kay. Uh, my aunt was called herself a good witch. She didn't fit in the church Yeah. So she called herself a cheap psychiatrist. <laughs> but she was actually able to help people. Yeah. Because she had, she actually did have um, a special gift of knowing about people, mm-hmm. being able to tell them things that there was no way she could know. Yeah. And so, so if. If those of you who can hear, Kay's aunt uh, had the ability to predict that things were going to happen and could had, had sort of a supernatural insight into people that she could tell things about them that she didn't have any way to know. And she ended up being sort of ostracized from the church for that because there was no place in her church for that. And so she ended up becoming kind of a what she called a cheap psychiatrist, but she built up sort of a fortune-telling practice where she was counseling people and helping them and things like that. I, you know, So what I would say to that is shame on that church for having such a small view of who God is that they could not I mean, I guess in the Bible there were people that had supernatural insight into other people and could tell that things were going to happen. So I, like, I don't see how someone could see someone doing that in the church and say, well, I don't, I don't know where in the Bible you get the idea that that's okay. Like, really? I'll give you a few passages off the top of my head. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that the way that church was practicing their Christianity, they excluded someone who has obviously been gifted in some way and who was 
able to use those gifts to help people. Like that should have been, that should have, there should have been room for that in her church, and there, that should have been celebrated as as gifts from God. That that sounds good, but yet, I, how does that how does that match with this was a wonderful woman. I love it. Yep. Um, where it says don't you don't go to fortune telling. What's the difference in that and fortune telling? Uh, I, mean, I mean, it seems, it seems like it's it's almost mutually exclusive. Well, I, I think it would. I think the difference would depend on uh, how that gift was being practiced and and which way it was oriented. I mean, if this is a person who is uh, who is who is walking with God, who is seeking the Holy Spirit, and who has these gifts. I mean, again, it clearly in the scriptures, prophecy is is a, is a clear gift. It's it's a gift that that, that, that the church talks about and and Paul talks about and that we see practiced a lot. And so uh, I think there is a way that that can be done well and a way that that can be done poorly, uh, just like any other gift. Uh, and then uh, how would you define the difference between a fortune teller and a prophet? A prophet being the one that is that is you know saying what's going to happen. Uh, well, so I would I. Off the top of my head, I would counter. You see, Doug's asking, "What's the difference between a fortune teller and a prophet?" Uh, there isn't anywhere in the scriptures that it says, "Don't tell the future." Um, there is mandate against seeking out people who tell the future, and so here's why I make that distinction. I get asked on a regular basis because I'm a pastor, and I get asked all kinds of weird questions. You know, what do you think about psychics? And then usually when I start asking that person, they'll say, well, here's the reason. Either I or someone I really care about visited a psychic and they told them these things and they came true. And so, like, they've, again, they've had this experience and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. And so the, the question that I always end up asking is, well, why do you want to go to a psychic? And it's, it's always to know something. I mean, that's why you go, right? You want to know something. Uh, you want direction. You want... Uh, confidence, you want assurance, you want something. And I would say, well, that's the problem. The problem is you're looking for things that you ought only be getting from God somewhere else. Um, God promises in the scriptures that God is enough for you. That the assurances that God makes and all of that is enough. And so the problem I would say, and this is my, again, off the top of my head, unthought through opinion, so I'm glad we're recording it and putting it on the internet. <laughs> my, my thought would be there's actually really nothing inherently wrong with someone who is gifted with an ability, a supernatural kind of an ability to, to see things that are going to happen or to have these like deep insights into someone. Um, it's, the problem is with those of us who want to seek those things out because we're, we're, we're looking for the right thing in the wrong place. That, that would... That's from the hip. Okay. I, and scripturally, I, I, who are they giving credit to? Yeah. And, and, and are they, you can always tell, you know, follows, if you're following scripture, and, you know, you should be able to tell whether, you know, they're having a relationship with God, if they're actively giving credit to God, if they're following mm -hmm. scripture lines. Mm -hmm. It seems like it would be more obvious. Mia, what were you going to say? I have a question from yes. this, this side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> if God is a Holy Spirit, aren't we guilty of worshiping His Spirit? Okay. Uh, yeah, so I would say there's... So the question was, if God is the Holy Spirit, aren't we guilty of spirit worship? I would say that there's a place where uh, language is unfortunately convoluted. 
the same way that people say, I've heard some say, well, can Christians believe in ghosts? And it's like, well, we believe in the Holy Ghost. Okay, sure we do. But there's a difference when we talk about ghost stories and the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a difference when we talk about spirits and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one person of the Trinity, and that is, that is the creator who is separate from creation, who is the uncreated originator of all things, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that the creed says about the Spirit, about God. The Spirit became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ because the Spirit is God. Everything that the Father does, the Spirit does, and everything the Spirit does, the Father does, and all of those kinds of things. And that is a totally different thing from any of these other created, finite spirits that are in the world. So, so Christians would say there is a, there is a, the Holy Spirit is not the same kind of a thing as spirits. And, and they're called the same thing. Just like when we talk about ghosts and the Holy Ghost, well, yeah, the word's the same, unfortunately, but they're not, we don't, we don't actually mean the same kind of a thing. So um, the, maybe the shorter answer to that question would be, if you are worshiping the Holy Spirit as a part of the Godhead, and that's the only person that you're worshiping, you're fine. And if you're worshiping anything else, that's not okay. So is that clear-ish? It's not my question. It came from this yeah. side of the room. Yeah. Uh, okay. If it's not clear, pass for another note. Um, <laughs> any other? Any other? We gotta. We're almost out of time. I thought we were gonna be finished early, and you guys wanted to talk about way too many good things. Um, well, you mentioned ghosts. What do you think about the ghost hunters? When I see that on TV. I flip them around. I usually go right by it because it creeps me. <laughs> ghost hunters. I will say this. I have been. I've been fascinated by all of that stuff uh, since I was a little kid. I think it's I think it's crazy. I've always wanted to do like the haunted house tours and stuff like that. And um, you know, I don't know. Again, I I think some of it's probably silly and theatrical and televised and all of that. But I don't think all of it is. You know, uh, and, and again, we have clear evidence in the scripture that people can come back from the other side. And so, I, who am I to say that that doesn't happen? You know. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, that's uh, the the exorcism stories in the New Testament are just fantastic. Uh, there's so many crazy things that happen, and uh, I, it, they're great. And again. Above all else, they should, one, caution you uh, when you're messing around in that world. And then, two, they should remind you that unless you, like, without God, you're just in a heap of trouble. And so just tread very carefully. Um, so uh, a little plug. If you like horror movies, if you don't, ignore everything I'm about to say. If you like horror movies, there is a film called The Exorcism of Emily Rose uh, that is just a fantastic look at uh, at a re it's actually based on a real account of an exorcism and uh, the filmmaker is a Christian his name's Scott Derrickson he's a fantastic filmmaker and the film is, is just awesome uh, it opens I'll just very briefly it opens with a girl who uh, the Catholic Church they, they recognized that she was possessed and they sent an, a licensed official exorcist to her to exorcise her and uh, she had been diagnosed as uh, epileptic and that's what was causing her seizures. And the priest came and he said, no, it's not epilepsy. It's the, she's possessed by a demon. And so he took her off of her epilepsy medications. And then the film actually opens with her dead. 
And so the priest is charged with criminal negligence because he's the one who told the family to take her off of her meds and then she died. And so the actual film is his trial. And he has an agnostic lawyer who's defending him, and she's having to try to prove exorcism in a court of law. And then his defense, the, the prosecutor is a Methodist Sunday school teacher who's trying to deny that there was any demonic activity happening uh, and that it was just a case of uh, you know a priest mucking around in the medical field where he shouldn't have. And then all of the exorcism stuff is told in flashbacks. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful film that deals with a lot of these questions about like God and science and faith and you know uh, the spiritual world and how do you deal with all that. And it's all done from a Christian perspective. So uh, but it is so scary. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you can't do horror, don't. Just sorry that I got you intrigued. But uh, my mom watched it and she and my stepdad loved it. I mean, they just thought it was a tremendous film. So if you can handle a little bit of scary, uh, it, it is a it, and this kind of stuff is interesting to you, and you want like a really uh, a, a, all based on true uh, 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 what is the word I want documented accounts. Uh, it's a great story. So uh, okay, we're out of time. I want to pray for us real quick, and then we can go again next week. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more fun. We're going to do some, I'm going to bring some pizza in and stuff like that. So tell me about your dietary restrictions on the way out, and we'll we'll still have some content, but it'll be less. Uh, than usual, so we'll have more time to just kind of hang out and talk and talk about all the kind of review and, and reflect on everything we've been doing for the last nine weeks. So let's pray together. God, this is uh, this is probably like the the week that was the most challenging for a lot of us, uh, the one that's probably the furthest outside of our comfort zone, and that's saying a lot in a class like this. Uh, but we just trust that you are who you say you are and that if we continue to seek you and to seek to become more like you and to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit's transformative work in our lives, that we will be okay and we'll have a clear picture of who you are. And we pray that as we build truth-seeking relationships with uh, people who consider themselves some kind of pagan, that you would give us a lot of wisdom and discernment in how to have those conversations and, and what these what these could look like, and that we would be courageous, and that we would be uh, kind, and that we would be gentle, and that above all, we would seek understanding and, and, and offer friendship to them in the same way that you have offered friendship to us. Uh, we pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and we uh, anxiously look forward to next week when we can